The story is told of someone who's driving down the highway and gets a phone call from his wife. Honey, are you an interstate? I am, dear, but I can't talk. I can't talk. Well, honey, just for a second, I need to tell you, be very careful. On the radio, they mentioned that there's some maniac driving down the interstate full speed the wrong direction. One maniac, he yells as he swerves yet one more time. There seem to be hundreds of them. Are we sometimes oblivious to the fact that we're continuing to go the wrong direction? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. And in this week's Torah portion of Miketz, Yosef, who had been sold down to Egypt as a slave, has been upgraded, pulled out of the dungeon, given the position of the viceroy over Egypt, in charge of the Egyptian economy, and his brothers, who have come down to Egypt to purchase food, don't realize that they're facing Yosef when they petition this viceroy to allow them to have the food they need to bring back to Canaan. The text describes that Yosef recognized his brothers, the Haim Lohikiruhu, but they did not recognize him. Now, in just on the basic level, Rashi describes that Yosef now had a beard. He'd left home, was, let's better say, sent away from home very dramatically at age 17. And now he's an adult. It's decades later, and he looks rather different. But let's put ourselves in the brothers' shoes, or maybe sandals, back there in Egypt, as they're encountering this viceroy. And they are looking at this person who word probably would have spread out of Egypt this was not the classic elevation within the household of the pharaoh that he pulled up one of his sons to take a lead position. Word probably would have spread about the fact that this was a very strange trajectory. Somebody who had been a slave in the dungeons of Egypt and now pulled up to be the viceroy. A slave from a foreign land, no less. And probably word would have spread that it was a slave an every slave, because the text describes they knew he was a Hebrew, somebody back from their Canaan territory that is now raised to the position of viceroy. It probably was something that they'd heard about. And let's bear in mind that Rashi in last week's Parsha tells us that when Yosef is described as the Ben-Zikunim of Yaakov, Ben-Zikunim, one of the meanings of Ben-Zikunim is they had the same ziv uknuin, the same facial appearance, same facial shine as his father Yaakov. If Yosef was the spitten image of his father, well, as he grew older and matured and had more of a beard, more likely that that was more and more vivid. And Rashi later on describes that Yosef seated the brothers relative to their ages without their walking down to Egypt with you know, their ages on some type of a name tag. And the brothers were surprised. They were attributing it to Yosef's hocus-pocus, Egyptian astrology, black magic, that Yosef was deducing their ages. But when they start to think, start to get it, that this formerly every slave raised to viceroy because of his great talents... Hey, what about those dreams that Yosef had way back about his being a monarch and we would be subjugated to him, dependent on him? Wouldn't you start seeing, hey, maybe let's connect the dots over here?
Well, have you ever heard of confirmation bias? Have you ever... Well, let's turn the question a different way. Do you know people who don't have confirmation bias? What is confirmation bias? Human nature is that if we have made a decision, we'd like that decision to be accurate. And therefore, we are going to seek out information that confirms that decision and ignore information that does not. We may all think that we're very rational, we're very intelligent, and we are very objective, but we have a bias to confirm that which we have predetermined. We had presidential elections recently. Uh, Many people think they're over. (laughs) Who knows? But we had presidential elections. We had, before the presidential debates, do you know anybody who listened to any of those debates having had one perspective before the debates and having changed it due to the debates? It's very hard. And again, you think at some point there's some arguments that should swing people's decisions, but people go into this, again, not to somebody who went in without any predetermined thoughts, but anybody who went in pro A or B tends to remain pro A or B and use the same situation. If I'm pro A and you're pro B, I'll see the situation as having supported my being pro A and you as pro B. Imagine a world in which there's a pandemic and variant reactions as to whether masks and social distancing should be mandated. Well, once somebody has determined in their mind's eye one approach to that, they're going to tend to use the scientific data to support that. And somebody else is thinking very differently, we'll find scientific data to support them. And if only you know, we would recognize that we don't always, or let's put it differently, we typically don't um, allow ourselves to be open-minded enough to let the data really speak for itself and help us make a really logical decision. So that guy driving down the road is determined he's going the right direction, and car after car after car that he's facing are just one more maniac, one more maniac, one more maniac, but not stopping to think that maybe I'm the maniac, even after hearing his wife's comment that someone's driving the wrong direction, doesn't help. The brothers see Yosef. They made a determination when they sold Yosef into slavery that they were right and he was wrong. They made a determination that those dreams were nonsense. They made a determination that Jacob's favoring him, giving him a status that put him into a rank of nobility, that special garment, the Ksonas Pasim, was a garment of nobility, of of monarchy, that that was all a mistake and we need to undo this mistake. In their mind's eye, Yosef can't be anything other than a slave. In fact, there are Midrashim, Rashi actually quotes this, that they were checking out the slave markets in Egypt to see if they could find their brother, Yosef. But he's got to be a slave, because if he, in fact, is a monarch, we were wrong all along, and we don't want to be wrong. Human beings don't like to be wrong, and we would rather reinterpret information and confuse the information and do all types of machinations to have the information match our predetermined attitudes rather than discover that we are wrong. Well, if that's reality, how do you operate differently? How would you correct that? And if it's so common, 
And the reality is, is that this is something that works through so many factors in determinations of affecting how I view science, how I view relationships, how I determine uh, that what you are doing is either supportive or not supportive of me. And once I have that determination, everything else seems to fit into that equation. And I'm not willing to recognize that, no, 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 there's been a change. We get ourselves into this rut. What would be the steps necessary to protect against this or to get out of the rut? So let's get into the mindset of that guy who's driving down the road. Of course, that's an extreme. But there are plenty of people who are going in the wrong direction in some aspect of life and not willing to recognize the glaring information that keeps shining against them and saying, hey, wrong direction, wrong direction. Recalibrate. But no, we'd like to keep going, keep going, keep going. One factor, the mission of Perkevus teaches us that we should be literally make for yourselves a teacher and acquire a friend. Just today I was listening to somebody make a reference, somebody who had been close with Rabbi Moshe Feinstein of blessed memory, of the greatest Torah sages of the middle and to later parts of the last century. Uh, passed away in the mid-80s, if I remember correctly. And this gentleman had been walking with Ramosha Feinstein in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. It was back into probably the 1960s or 70s, where Feinstein asked him, how many friends do you have? He said, he's thinking like, you know, friends, let's say they're pretty close friends, you know, 20. So Feinstein repeated the question, how many friends do you have? And he said, uh, about 20. And Feinstein repeated the question the third time, and he said to him, Okay, what is Ray Feinstein? What is Rosh Shiva trying to, to say? Rosh Shiva is, is making some comment to me in this question. He said, the mission of Pirkeiolos says, acquire for yourself a friend. What does a friend mean? A friend means somebody that would lose sleep over the fact that you're in trouble. But further than that, a friend would lose sleep over the fact that you are in spiritual trouble as well. How many friends do you have? Hmm. And that was before Facebook friends. But a friend means somebody who is attentive to you, who would be concerned, not when you're, God forbid, like in a life crisis, but even if you are in some level of financial distress, some level of emotional distress, some level of spiritual failure, as Ray Moshe Feinstein put it, that he would be losing sleep over the fact that you missed out on an opportunity of a mitzvah. Okay, that's big time level of friendship. But then it would concern him that here there's some element of opportunity that you're missing. It bothers me. It pains me. That's a real friend. Well, in our context, having a friend with whom I can check in and say, hey, this is what I'm doing in life. And as an outsider, how do you view it? Because I know I'm naturally biased. And I'm a human being. I'm going to be limited by the reality of those biases. Having somebody who's in tune to us, who cares about us, and who'd be willing to share his or her frustrations with what we're doing for our sake is a phenomenal tool in helping to steer clear and get off that road and we're going in the wrong direction and get back on the right track. Having somebody who's willing to share a comment of concern, a comment of criticism, because they know that we have that closeness and they know that I want that. So 
having that person in my life and being the type of person who's open to that. I'm receptive to that. I'm not going to scare them away by the fact that, you know, if they make a comment, I'm going to be so um, disturbed at them as to reject it. The combination of that attitude with that other person in our lives can be a very significant tool. I came across the following that can be a uh, boost to this as well. And that's when turning to somebody else, asking, how do you think I did, is unlikely to get much more of a response than, good job, or okay. Asking a question of, do you think I could have done anything differently? Do you think I could be doing anything differently? Do you think I could be doing anything that would enhance the outcomes of whatever the endeavor you're dealing with is? That gives them room to really share something meaningful. And one final thought, a thought that actually is not stated directly in the Mishnah, but uh, certainly be something that would be a sage advice. Came across this when Googling the topic of confirmation bias. And regarding use of Google, reality is, like it or not, good chance a lot of the information you acquire in life is found in some type of an online search. Don't make the mistake of searching until you find the one Google response that matches your predetermined assumption. So many people are looking for something to corroborate their thought that either the way they phrase the question will direct them to the site that is supportive. And given that there are going to be millions of pieces of information out there, you will find something to corroborate anything and everything. If you want to prove Anything from the fact that the Holocaust never happened to that uh, the the, moon, the, the uh, man never landed on the moon to the world is flat. You can find something supporting any theory out there on Google. Don't phrase the question causing it to give you the reaction that supports your theory. And B, don't keep searching and scrolling down until, aha, I found it, this proves me right. If we're going to use those type of searches, use them in a way that allows for a little more objectivity. Pulling it all together, we want to make sure we are not the maniac driving the wrong direction and that we are able to get off that road and get back in the right lane. We want to make sure that when we encounter our brother Yosef, we're ready to recognize that and give up the theory that he can't be in a position of monarchy and hence we can allow ourselves to come to that conclusion. We want to live life in a way that we can make objective determinations and not based on those biases that we're just confirming and confirming and reconfirming. Using the tool of allowing a friend to be able to voice opinions that we may not be eager to hear and they know we'll be comfortable hearing that, they know ultimately we'll accept it and that we will appreciate it will allow for ultimately really much deeper friendships and much more meaningful, fruitful friendships and much more meaningful, fruitful outcomes. Allowing ourselves to be cautious about how we search for what we search for and allowing us to be objective in that process. Doing all of these hopefully will get us back on the right direction, have us undo those biases and get to the point that we are actually able to accomplish in more productive, more objective fashion, and be far more likely to achieve our tachlis.